0: Hello, this is Harrison Kim, and you're listening to Working With People by Paystep. The Working With People podcast is for executives, managers, and HR leaders. We bring people experts together to provide you with relevant content on how to think about and manage your most important asset, your talent. We have Samantha with us today. Thank you for joining.
1: Thanks for having me, Harrison. I'm pleased to be here.
0: So let's start with you first. Tell us who you are and what you do.
1: Sure. So my name is Samantha Carlin. I'm a gender consultant. I have a firm called Empower Global, and we focus on helping companies to recruit and retain women and people of color and to create inclusive workspaces where everybody thrives.
0: So I know women and empowerment of women have become more and more top of mind in the corporate world over the last several years. Can you tell me a little bit more about the state of where we are today for those who are not as familiar?
1: Sure. So in, in terms of the corporate environment, we're looking at 6.6% of women CEOs in Fortune 500 companies are women, which is up from 4.8%. Like if you think about a little graph and what six out of a hundred looks like, that's pretty measly. And I mean, I think what, what always surprises me is looking at the fact that women and men enter the workforce in pretty equal numbers. Women, a tiny bit lower, but like a couple percentage points. And then you look at the graph and you see as the the seniority of the position goes up, the women's numbers just dwindle down. If you think about music, like a decrescendo, and you just see the men's numbers as you go to senior leadership do a huge crescendo. And it kind of just makes you think, wow, something is wrong with this. Uh, We're also just not seeing people of color, uh, especially women of color, make it to the top. In terms of the C-suite, we're looking at about 25% of positions or one out of every four is held by a woman. Uh, And in terms of the gender wage gap, this is kind of interesting. Uh, So women are making about 80 cents on the dollar for every dollar the male counterpart makes. But Latino women are making only 58 cents on the dollar of a white male counterpart and black women, 67%. Add an even more interesting twist that Asian women are actually doing better than all of them, wow. uh, which makes you think about why are Asian women actually doing so well? And is it because they tend to be in more technical positions
0: uh, that, interesting.
1: that, you know, cause they, they have more propensity to study science and math. And so are they in higher salary roles? Uh, what's, what's going on there?
0: So there's obviously a big gap in terms of the number of positions occupied by females, but also just the pay gap itself. What do you think are the core drivers of these challenges for women in the workplace? You know, I'm sure there's hundreds of reasons, but what are the top five that you think are the biggest drivers?
1: So if we're looking at root causes, I think every industry is different. Uh, I work a lot with some of the more male dominated industries, so I'm going to speak on that basis. You just, when you have the top leadership positions held by men, and then the C suite is three quarters men, and there's something called implicit egotism where w- we like people that are like us. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we will hire people that are like us. It's an example of unconscious bias, right? We don't know why we like this person, but egotism means that we want to like ourselves, and we're like, oh, this person reminds me of myself. Also, people think, I know what I'm getting. Like, this person is just like me. I know right. me, so I know this person. So there's definitely, I think, a little bit of fear of hiring people who aren't like you because you don't, you don't feel like you know what you're getting, which is why that diversity literature showing how diversity is hugely important for innovation, creates higher profits, is really important, as well as understanding that implicit bias, of the fact that you're more likely to hire someone like you or even to pick their resume out of out of a pile.
0: On that point, how do you distinguish between an unconscious bias that you shouldn't have versus a quote-unquote culture fit because a lot of people would be like, "Oh, this person likes beer. I like beer. Therefore, <laughs> you know, he or she and I can get along because we both like beer." And obviously that's a very simplistic example, but sometimes I feel like difficult to distinguish between a unconscious bias that you should fight versus a quote unquote, what companies call culture fit. How do you think about that?
1: Okay. Herein lies the problem, right? As if you have top senior, I'm going to talk about tech companies because I've been talking about this lately. I think think it's a good example. So a lot of tech firms start out as startups who two people, right? And you know, a lot of times two guys went to HBS. So they're former consultants And they're bootstrapping, they don't have an HR person, and so they don't want to spend money on human resources, they usually don't know anything about DEI or care, and they hire their friends. Oh, you know, this kid who went to Wharton, or my athlete, my fraternity brother is looking, and he's really good, he's really smart, I know him. And then what happens is the company starts getting bigger and bigger, then those people that are those first hires create that culture. So I think with culture, you have to look at why is the culture a way that's not fitting people of color or women? And it's because the culture has been reproduced by having a lot of men at the top that usually are somehow related to each other in different ways, whether it's their college or their fraternity or their business school. And the fact is, you could say, oh, someone's not, you know, They they just don't fit into the culture because like they don't like beer. Well, guess what? You need diverse talent. If you want to succeed in this world, you need diverse talent. So you have to figure out how to make your culture more inclusive so that the only person that fits into your culture is not just somebody who looks like you or who went to your, your school because your revenue and your ability to innovate and survive is going to suffer in the long term.
0: Right. And I think a lot of people think about culture as this thing that needs to be a requirement where a candidate needs to fit into that culture or not, instead of thinking about it from an addition perspective. What can this candidate bring to our culture is another way I think some people have talked about it, which I think is a helpful way to look at it.
1: I think that's absolutely smart. And you know, I think about my master's in international relations and every person who was from a different country added so much to the learning in the classroom. Instead of thinking to yourself, okay, does this person fit with what we already have? How are they going to add this? How are they going to grow? How are they going to potentially enable us to move into markets or increase our product marketing to women who we really haven't been able to target in ways that we've not before.
0: So that all makes sense. So back to the core drivers of challenges for women in the workplace, what else is top of mind for you?
1: I'm going to be honest. I mean, there's just, there's so many, I think culture is a big one and that type of, I'm just going to talk about kind of the bro culture, that bro culture also fosters a lot of microaggressions. It's not necessarily a huge sexual assault case, although obviously we've seen that it it can feed into that (laughs) little things, little signs that make women feel like they just don't belong whether it's the fact that the men all take their rings off at happy hour and hit on the interns in front of everyone. That makes people feel uncomfortable, whether it's that every social hour that they have involves drinking and is after work. You know, there there's kind of lots of different ways you can make a woman feel like she doesn't belong. It's the fact that in every meeting, you know, she's not – I know another person who's actually – also a DEI consultant who left the company because nobody listened to her. She was in charge of changing the culture and she would go into a meeting with mostly men and say, Hey, I am here to do this job. Here's how we're going to change this. And literally people are talking over her. They're not listening. They're on their phones. I think the the fundamental need of human is to feel heard. And if you don't feel heard, you're going to peace. And whether that's in a job or whether it's in a relationship, it you feel awful, right? You you just feel like, oh, you you feel worthless. You feel like you don't have value.
0: And related to that, I think um, this is something that we've talked about before, which is around lack of mentorship or sponsorship for women. That gets into an interesting conversation around the whole Me Too movement over the last few years, actually potentially negatively affecting that even more. What are your thoughts on the mentorship and sponsorship for women?
1: Incredibly important. And what the research shows is that it's actually really good to have a formal mentorship program because especially now, older men can feel uncomfortable reaching out to younger women as mentors because they don't want to be perceived in the wrong way. So if you have a formal mentorship program where people um, based on mutual interests, career aspirations, are paired, then there's no question that like, oh, this guy is hitting right. on by asking me to drink. So it's no, we were paired together in this mentorship program. And then like when I, if I design a mentorship program for a company, I also do a workshop on what is mentorship and what is mentorship versus sponsorship. How do you mentor women versus men? There's research that shows that m- male mentors are more likely to give younger men to train them on hard skills as part of mentorship. And they're more likely to give female mentors advice. Uh, There's also been some really interesting research showing that older women mentors are work really work better with younger male mentors, younger men. If they're have a male mentor, they might see each other as a threat because men are more individual or individually oriented and women are more group oriented.
0: That's very, very interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, the other thing to just to keep in mind there, even if you don't have a formal mentorship program, some of this is just common sense. It's like, you know, if you're going to reach out to someone to mentor them, don't involve alcohol. People's inhibitions are different. They think someone's looking at them a certain way. They're not. Don't take off your ring.
0: Establish a relationship first. So formal mentorship is one really good advice that you can implement with your clients or in your workplace to lessen the gap for women. What are some other tactical ways? And I don't want you to give out all of your secrets, uh, but what are some of the other things that the audience should be thinking about?
1: So I think that change needs to happen from the bottom up and the top down. Top down would really be policy oriented. So looking at your maternity and paternity leave policies, the US government still doesn't give paid maternity leave corporate world has actually gotten a lot better about that but also not just maternity leave but also giving paternity leave and then with paternity leave encouraging men to actually take that because sometimes even when the paternity leave is offered they feel stupid they don't want to like no like give you know some kind of reward or incentive for them to actually take that paternity leave paternity and maternity leave would be example of a top-down policy, Uh, also having really strong sexual harassment policies in place. And when someone goes against them and does commit sexual harassment or assault, you fire them, you don't keep them and then fire the person that reported the harassment. And like this stuff literally happens and doing sexual harassment training that actually works. I do provide sexual harassment training based on a lot of research from different academics. Online sexual harassment training, let's just all be really honest, it sucks. It does not work and it is a check the box and it does not change anyone's view or really give any information that's helpful, but also having the policy in place and not giving impunity to people just because they're in positions of power and okay, you're making money for the company, but ultimately you have to recognize that there's going to be a huge lawsuit. You're going to lose a ton of money and your reputation is going to nosedive. So those are a couple policy type things that I'll, I'll just mention. Um, I think that it, it also, it, it policies are different when you're trying to, well, not different, but if you're, if we're talking about recruitment of women, that's a whole different thing from retaining women. Um, so there's a whole another host of things in recruitment that you really need to look at if you want to re- recruit uh, female talent and talent of color. Um, from what I'm talking about bottom up is you also have to empower women and minorities to try to make their voices heard, whether that's through employee resource groups. Um, I do a lot of trainings with women in the workplace on public speaking, on confidence building, Mm. on negotiating Um, that being said, I, I do think, I mean that it's not biological, but I think that women are socialized in different ways than men and that women are obsessed with the need to be perfect. And that need to be perfect really interferes with our ability to take risks and put ourselves out there. In some aspects, not being the risk takers is good because it can counterbalance men who take risks too much. Like they say, if Lehman Brothers was Lehman Sisters, would that have happened? But it does prevent us from Sometimes putting our ideas out there, um, or afraid to look stupid, right? So I work with on improv, on on failing, getting comfortable with with failing. Like it's okay to fail. The other thing I want to say there is that I also really do think implicit bias training or male allyship training is really important because you know there's also a lot of research out there that shows that women ask for promotions just as much as men. They just don't get them. So as much as it's important to for women to be able to you know you know speak and take command of a room and have that executive presence to persuade and convince you also have to have men who are not judging them based on their gender and recognizing their own biases in why they won't give a woman venture capital funding but they will give a guy even right. though they came in with the exact same business plan
0: right Right. I think I read a long time ago as well when they did a test between resumes with women names versus men names and then doing the exact same resumes without any names. And then the results were crazy how people were so biased for men in that kind of control study environment as well. So all of these issues are very real.
1: Yep. Absolutely.
0: I think one, one more topic I would like to just quickly cover um, is around the topic of sexual harassment. And we touched on this very briefly. I think many men have a hard time defining this and therefore rely on extreme behaviors like never having one-on-one meetings with women. How should men think about sexual harassment in today's definition?
1: So as my grandma Millie would say, use your head. Uh, (laughs) No, I think you have to think, you know, is this something, is this a way I'd want my sister or my daughter to be treated? If the answer is no, do not pass go. What's also really important to remember about harassment is that perception is as important as intent. So someone might say, well, I didn't mean that just because I asked her out 20 times where I am and she kept turning me down. But, like, I wasn't really hitting on her. But so, like, if her perception is that you were hitting on her, and it's, again, it's, it's about frequent or severe. It's You can ask somebody out once. Like, you really can or maybe even twice. But if they turn you down twice, stop asking them out. This is the workplace. They want to feel comfortable. And a lot of the sexual harassers, they're the same people over and over and over again. It's the same with, with sexual assault on college campuses, It's like a minority of guys who do it more than one time. So the chances are you're probably not harassing somebody. Hopefully somebody would have called you out about it already. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're in a super position of power, maybe not, but that's, again, why talking about boundaries and male allyship training and understanding microaggressions are all really important.
0: Yeah. And intention versus perception, right? It doesn't really matter what you said or what you intended, as long as the other person heard it a certain way, that's what was really said. So I, I fully understand what you're talking about there. Yep. Well, I think we are running out of time here, but there is definitely a lot of other episodes that we should be diving deeper into some of these topics. First of all, thank you so much for your time. Where can the audience find you?
1: Sure. So my website is empowerglobal.net. You can find me there and I welcome your inquiries. I welcome your battle comments. I'm happy to provide clarification on anything and And I want to thank thank you a lot, Harrison, for a really rich and interesting conversation.
0: Thank you. This is uh, definitely a sensitive and top-of-mind topic, so hopefully our audience will have some good insights and uh, perspectives on it. Thank you all for turning into Working With People by PaveStep. If you like this episode, feel free to check us out on pavestep.com slash podcast.